Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrads.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. All right, cool. All right, so you have a good day? Are you ready to go? You fired up? You a little, little wiped out? You okay? You need to take a breath or anything? We're good? I went to a nine-year-old, uh, my nine-year-old granddaughter who's sitting right over there, doesn't want me to point her out. Uh, I went to her soccer game today at 1230, nice breeze. Ended in a tie, so we had to go to two overtimes. I think they won, but I was fainting at the points out on the... Now they did win. They won in the last 10 seconds. Good job, Sienna. Good for you. I'm emotionally exhausted. I got nothing left. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you had a good week, bad week, somewhere in between, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus. We're going to talk about something really important, okay? We're talking about Nehemiah. So the book of Nehemiah, and, uh, and so just to remind you, uh, Nehemiah is a great book about leadership. <clears throat> it's a great book about organization, uh, a great uh, book about taking risks and dreaming big, but it really is more important than that. Uh, all those things are true, and all that is, is uh, you can drive from the book of Nehemiah. But what Nehemiah is really about, it is really kind of a, a, a little miniature, a little pointer to what God is doing um, in the world. So we can look at the world as, uh, as a little uh, incidents of this and this and this and this, and, and there's no really kind of overarching kind of theme or narrative happening in the world. Uh, but if you read the Bible, you'll find that the whole scripture is an overarching narrative, a grand narrative of God creating us, us turning our back on God, us trying to reconcile us to himself eventually through Jesus Christ, making that absolutely possible. And so Nehemiah is a little picture. It's not about building Jerusalem. I mean, it is about building Jerusalem, but it's kind of a a pointer to God building his spiritual kingdom on the earth. And so what we see about about Nehemiah going through to build his wall, we can apply to, to our own building our spiritual character, building Christian community, bringing God's redemptive plan uh, to bear in our situation. And so we're kind of supposed to look, that, look at it on two levels, all right? And so uh, one of the things that we know, that if we set out to do something of significance with our life, um, and Nehemiah was setting out to do something significant, not just so those people could be protected in that city, but so that the kingdom of God, Jesus walked through those gates in that city, uh, could come for all of it. So it was, it was a part of this grand narrative of God trying to bring people back to himself or giving them opportunity to come back. And, and so are you and I. And, and we are to have a life that is impactful uh, in a similar kind of way. And so if we're going to live a life that is impactful, then we need to understand some things. The minute you set out to do something impactful with your life, to follow God, however he leads you to, to live your life, um, you will find opposition. No good deed goes unpunished. You will find opposition. Either people misunderstand you, or more likely there's a power structure that you're messing with. You're, you're about to upset the apple cart. And so we find in Nehemiah, uh, in chapter 4, uh, it starts earlier, but we're going to look at chapter 4 today, um, these guys, and these aren't just local guys who sit around on the street corner, uh, you know, uh, smoking cigarettes and, 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 and drinking beers, okay? These guys are governors, so they, were, they would be like as powerful as Nehemiah, maybe, maybe even more powerful. They were kind of overseers of different areas um, adjacent to uh, Jerusalem. I don't mean like a mile away. I mean like miles away with entire armies, okay? So these guys aren't just idle uh, talkers, not just make idle threats. They are the real deal, and they are power brokers in the region, and they don't like the idea of a new power um, rising up. As long as Jerusalem's walls uh, were down, they could go and they could raid it, they could take care of it, they could keep those people oppressed, 
And now here's Nehemiah coming, and he's about to change all that, and they don't like it. People don't like change, even the best of change, much less if you're going to take away a little of their power. People get really sideways, okay? And so here's what happens um, in, in, uh, in Nehemiah. Now, let's start with verse, uh, first one in chapter 4. When Sanballat, that's the way you say it, by the way, in case anybody's wondering, if you were here last week, I don't know, heard the heard we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And so right away, he's, he's, uh, he's not happy about it. You can tell he's not happy about it, and he's starting some, some spin. He's starting to put a little spin on this thing. And then it goes on. Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. And so what's a fox got to do anything? A fox weighs almost nothing, okay? So he's, he's ridiculed. So here's what they did. Right off the bat, they begin to ridicule him. First of all, it's a racial slur. Those feeble Jews, because the rest of these guys weren't Jews. They, so it starts out right off the top. Oh, those Jews, those feeble Jews. And then he insulted their ability. Will they restore the wall? <laughs> these guys? These guys are going to restore the wall? I don't think so. And by the way, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, some pretty amazing walls there. So he might have had good reason for saying that. And then he questioned their religion. Will they offer sacrifices like they know what they're doing? And then he, he, he discounts their, their commitment and their tenacity. Will, will they finish? Like, like in a day? Will they He's looking at the enormity of the task. He knows it's a big deal. Uh, and it, it goes on. He plants doubts if it's even possible. Um, will they bring these stones back to life? So mostly limestone there. And there had been this huge fire. And was it ruined? Was it any good? He's starting to try to plant seeds of doubt that it's even possible. And then, um, and then a fox can break it down, which is... And Tobias is just not very good at insulting people, I think. You know, some people could talk trash. Sandballot, pretty good at talking trash. Tobias, not so good, I don't think. I don't think he's good at it. Well, your mama. No, that's not even good. Right? You don't think, not think that's funny? Because I thought that was really okay. We had to work at this. So here's what's interesting. When, uh, whenever we set out to do something, uh, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be opposition. And by the way, um, different people respond to opposition differently. So I read recently, when you're 20, you, cares what everybody, you care about what everybody's thinking about you. And when you're 40, you don't care. And then when you're 60, you realize they were never thinking about you in the first place. <laughs> you wasted a lot of energy, a lot of time. So here's the deal. They're going to do this thing. They're going to restore the city, and they're starting to get opposition. And these are, and pretty soon they're making fun of them. Now they're trying to trying to uh, discourage them, trying to dissuade them. But but it eventually get more and more uh, uh, violent in their threats. And here's what we need to realize. This is uh, this is our least favorite. It's in Matthew five eleven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. In other words, if you're doing what God called you to do, there's some people going to be talking trash on you. It's going to happen. Just get ready. There will be opposition. So if we want to be like Nehemiah, there's some things we could do uh, in order to kind of come to grips with the inevitability of this, of this situation. And, and it's, the first one is just be all in. If you want to be a person of impact like Nehemiah, you got to be all in. You got to be all in. So there's a great passage in verse 6 I just uh, read for you. Um, I know I didn't get that far. Let me go back and read that for you. Um, here is so God. So 
He does something we don't get to do uh, because this is pre-cross. After the cross, we're supposed to pray for enemies. Evidently, pre-cross, not so much. Listen to this. Here is, oh, oh our God, for we are despised. By the way, I, I, I am not generally a pessimist, but I sense that the direction our culture is going, that you and I as Christians will experience more of this. Now, I've been in rooms full of people who have been imprisoned for their faith in other countries, so it's, it, we're, we're never going to hold a candle to that. But I want to suggest to you that in the days to come, in this nation and in this culture, we will be given more and more grief for what we believe, called uh, bigots, um, all kinds of things. And it's beginning even now. And so just expect it. And so we can identify a little bit with this. Um, and here's, this is the part you don't get to do. You don't get to say, turn their insults back on their own heads, give them over as plunder in a land of captivity, Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Now, he just goes off. Got it? Now, here's a couple of interesting things. He gets to pray some things you and I don't because our instructions are to love your enemy and pray for those who, who uh, want to take advantage of you. But here's what he does right. He says, God, you do this. He doesn't, take, he doesn't say, God, help me go take them out and go do things to them. He says, God, you, we, we would do well to leave justice in God's hands um, in, in when we're insulted or, or that kind of thing. And, and, and then he says, so... Um, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. Now, this is a great phrase. Be all in. Work with all your heart. This with all your heart is, is not just work as hard as you can. It's to be all in. It's with, it has to do with one mind, singularity of focus. It has to do with this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to be. This is what I, and it's, it's about not being double-minded. The Bible warns us about not being double-minded being of two minds. No, this is what we're supposed to do. This is what we're going to do. And they worked, and this translation is the work of all the heart. Another translation, they, had a, they were of a mind to work. In other words, they were committed to this thing. Now, being all in is a choice. It's a choice. Uh, it's kind of like the old idea of burning the ships behind you. It's like, we're going this, we're going this way. We're going to do this thing. And that's kind of how Christianity is. So I, I have an interesting thing that... Um, uh, I've observed. Uh, the first one is that uh, we think there are different kinds of Christians. Well, what kind of Christian are you? Oh, he's one of those kind of Christians. I've got news for you. There's Christians and there are non-Christians. Don't tell me you're a nominal Christian because that means something, right? Don't tell me you're, you know, a kind of a, a casual Christian so we always try to come up with words to put there so we know what kind of Christian we're talking to. Are you a born-again Christian? Are you a, are you a committed Christian? Are you a fully devoted follower? And the bottom line is you either are a Christ follower or you're not. There's no gradations here, right? You're either in or you're not. You're either all in or you're not. And the Bible even warns us that if you think you're in, but you're not all in, you may not be in at all. Right? When I was a little kid, I can't remember the song, but we had a Sunday school song. I said something about, um, yeah, you're, you're either up or you're down, but if you're halfway up, you're either, neither up or down. Does anybody know that song? Anybody remember that? What was the song? I can't remember the rest of it. What was it about? Was it like the Bible or something? Or? Somebody over here had... That's one. Good job. 
Was that a Sunday school teacher back there? I think it was. Good job. It was exactly right, by the way. I still remember it. I can't remember the application. It was a great song, though. But that's the point. The point is you're either in or you're out. There's no kind of whatever. You're either all in. Jesus doesn't say, I'll take part of you. I'll take a little bit of you. Oh, let's do this. On it. Let's do a payment plan. We'll just take more of you. No, he wants all of you now, today. That's how you become a Christian, right? And in this scenario, uh, they were in. They were just all in. All the time, everywhere, they were in. And so we begin by just saying, I'm in. So the when people talk trash, people start trying to, you know, it's half of what he was saying there was just kind of trying to sneak doubt in. Even Tobiah, who was a terrible trash talker, was like, you know, a fox could knock it. No, come on. But the other stuff, are these, are these stones really able to, to hold the weight of this thing? Or could we? This is huge. Just like, and by the way, at first it probably didn't bother him much, but about halfway through, you're going to see in a minute, about halfway through it started to wear on him. When he started getting physically tired and emotionally tired, it started, the, those words started coming in. Have you ever realized, who, so many of us live our lives based on voices we, we hear from the past or in the present. I really do think that saying I said about people in their 20s, I think a lot of what people do in their 20s and maybe even 30s is based on what they think other people are going to say or how they're going to react. If you doubt that, just take a look at social media. Some of you haven't gotten out of your 20s and you're in your 60s, so wake up. Um, here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's those voices started. But if you know that I'm all in, I'm all in. See, with Nehemiah, he had already decided he was all in. He decided he was all in when he felt like God called him to, and then he went to the king and said, hey. That saying hey to the king could cause you, cost you your head. And so he'd gotten all in already. There was no turning back. You know, there are things in life you need to be all in on and never turn back on them. Things like, I don't know, marriage. When I said I do, I meant I will, and I have. And with God's help, I'll continue to. Because I was all in. And beside that, she's a Native American and would tomahawk me if I tried to get out. But that's, <laughs> that's, that's an aside. Raising my children. All in trying to discern and follow God's call as best I can with his help. All in. I challenge you to make an all-in list. What are you all in on in your life? What are you all in? So here's one of the things that Cody's always telling me. He said, Dad, you're old. Thanks. Um, he said, no, you need to be old because younger people need to hear what it looks like after 40 years to be all in. Right? At 40 years, what does it look like to have been committed to the same woman for 40 years? It's great. It is. It's incredible. It's better than it was when we first started. We were faking it for about the first 15. <laughs> we actually know what we're doing now. We could teach you a thing or two if, you, if you'd be nice to us. Here's the deal. There are some things in life, and they happen to be the most important things that you have to be all in on. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the first of those. That's the, that's the foundation. That's the baseline. That's where we start. All in. Not turning back. Not second guessing. The word, the word divorce has never come up in my marriage. We agreed up front. We would never even use that word in reference to each other. Never. Never going to come up. Not going to happen. Because we're all in. We're, no, it's not going to happen. And so one of the things that, that happened here is Nehemiah was all in and the people were all in. Now, here's an interesting thing. And here's why they're able to finish this project so quickly and so well, even in spite of opposition, is they were all in and they were all in together. Now, you're thinking, well, yeah, I guess. I, you know. 
Well, you know, the teamwork makes the dream work, right? Uh, here's an interesting thing about, I heard someone say this, and I haven't really thought it through, but I, I, at first glance, I think it's true, is that this may have been the first time that Israel, the Jews, had been all in behind a leader. Because remember when Moses was leading, everybody was like, oh, let's go back, a bunch of pansies, right? I wanted to go back, right? If you think of the other leaders of Israel, there's all some divisions or factions or whatever it might have been. This seems to be the first time, even though it was a much smaller group, a smaller contingency, they seem to be all in behind Nehemiah. There is something powerful that happens in me when I'm all in, and there's something powerful that happens to people around me when together we're all in. You say, well, okay, that's kind of nice, kind of abstract. What does that mean? I've kind of quit... Um, Okay, I've, I've cut out about 60% of, of, of worrying about and thinking about complaining about our country. I'm down about 60%, which means I got another ways to go. But here's what I realized. Talking about it doesn't fix anything. Talking about it is just like uh, uh, Tobiah in Sand Ballot. It's just talking. It's just putting spin on stuff. You can't fix it. I can't fix it. Fix it. The government can't fix it. We need God. And you know how God gets involved in a situation like this? God's people join together and begin to do what they're supposed to do. And so I'm, I'm just going to tell you straight up, when I'm preaching this sermon, I'm thinking about our country and our culture and our community and the need for us to get our act together as a church, to set aside consumer Christianity and get a fresh vision of the mission that God has us on. And if we don't do that, we're in deep doo-doo. We are in deep trouble in this culture. I can point in any direction and show you, but I don't need to because you know. Here's what you may not know is that there's still hope, but it requires us being all in together, falling behind Jesus Christ, our leader, say we're all in all the time, everywhere together. We are in. What do you want us to do, Lord? What do you want us to do? I, I just, I think the only solution and the thing that we should be spending a lot more energy on than pointing fingers and kind of just regurgitating all the stuff we all know is praying for, believing for, working for a spiritual awakening in this country, in our communities, in our cities. I believe that it is a critical time and I'm not coming from a political place on that. I am just telling you, we need to find healing. We need to find hope. And it won't come outside of an awakening of who God is and how much he loves us. And that is going to be our chore. And I think that's why powerful, the Nehemiah is so powerful because we as a church, we are supposed to do this. It's a lifestyle. It is a calling. We're to influence others. I hear about social media influencers. You know what's interesting about that? It's all of us Christians are supposed to be spiritual influencers all the time. All the time. Everywhere we go. You see, before, before great revivals and great preachers, you know, how did people find out about faith? Sure, Peter stood up and he spoke to a big group, but we don't hear that very often in the New Testament. It was because one believer shared with their friend about what was happening in their life. They become all in with, with Jesus. And it was changing them. It was changing their values. It was changing their perspective. And when they share that with a friend, it began to change society and it changed the entire empire within 300 years. What could happen if we began to kind of look at life that way? Um, so be all in. The second observation I have is uh, to remember God. So if I look at, at verse um, 7 through 14, Let's read that. 
Uh, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed, critical issue there, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard a day and night to meet, prayed and posted. There is this interesting thing. So I heard an old story a long time ago. I was about a preacher went out to visit a farmer in his congregation. He said, wow, you have a beautiful farm. God has so blessed you with a great farm. He said, yeah. He said, what do you mean, yeah? He said, well, uh, yeah, God blessed me, but you should have seen it when God had it by himself. <laughs> there is this incredible thing where, where, yes, God is in charge of the outcomes, and God is in charge, but we also have to do our part. It's God's sovereignty, our responsibility, and together, somehow, we with God will accomplish something that both seem to be required. I can't explain why it's that way. God has chosen it to be that way. God could do it by himself, no problem. And yet he chooses to work through us. So he says, we prayed and we posted a guard. We prayed, we got ready for battle. One of the things that we need to do is pray and be ready for whatever next step God's called us to. Whatever that next thing that we need to do. So um, we started with, with be all in. This was about remember God. Let me, let me continue this. Um, Let's see, where do we go here? Prayed, posted, but, okay, verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much trouble that we cannot rebuild the wall. In other words, we're tired. It's the same while. By the way, there's, there's half as much rubble as there was when they started, but it seems like more because they're tired and the guys have gotten in their ear and right? And so, and when you're tired, uh, fatigue makes cowards of us all, all right? And so they're halfway through. They think the project's bigger than it ever was. It's not. And so they don't have a good perspective. So, um, also our enemies said before they know it, um, before they know or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put into the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told them 10 times over, where we turn, they will attack us. Uh, therefore, I say to some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall, exposed places, posting them in families, the swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. It's the first thing you need to do, by the way, when you're starting to get discouraged, when it's, uh, times are looking hard, when, when it feels like it's uphill all, time, all the time, remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and then fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. The battle is his at the end of the day. Remember the Lord. Um, so they're feeling fatigued. The walls seem like they're not going anywhere. So remember... God, and remember it was God that called you. Which God? The God, the only God, the one who's great and awesome. I can't see how we're going to win this. I can't see how we're going to build this wall. I don't understand how it works, but I know that God has called me to this. God has called us to this. God has called us to impact our society and our culture. I don't know how it's going to work. I was reading the other day about carbon footprints. So carbon footprint sounds like a great kind of definitive way to define, to kind of lay out how, what energy we should use and how we should use it. But then I read some other stuff that seemed to suggest that maybe some of the clean energy isn't so clean after all once you get it manufactured and you try to dispose of batteries and all that sort of stuff. So now I'm completely confused. And so I, I'm going to uh, develop a, a log-burning car. <laughs> I'm not. But I was thinking about, in light of social media influencers, carbon footprints, are we supposed to be leaving a spiritual footprint? 
Are you leaving, am I leaving a spiritual footprint with my life and the way I'm living my life? I, I'm confused on my carbon footprint. I've got to be honest, I'm a little confused about it. But I know when I'm leaving a spiritual footprint, at least a good one. And I know that's what I'm supposed to do. And that's what God has called me to do. There are three things I thank God for every day. At the very beginning of my prayers, in my Thanksgiving checks, in my prayers. God, thanks for saving me. Thanks for calling me. Thanks for giving me Connie and my family. God, thanks for saving me because I was a mess. Thanks for calling me because without, without a calling, I'm not sure what the point of life is. If you don't understand why you're here, you don't understand what you're supposed to be doing, you're going to settle for something so much less, it's just empty in the end. I thank God every day. Thanks for saving me. Thanks for calling me. Thanks for giving me Connie and my family because it's the greatest gifts to me. Some of us try to live our whole lives. We're thankful that God has a relationship with us, has forgiven us, uh, and we're thankful for our families. But that, that right there, that big, fat, important purpose thing is missing. If I were to ask you what God has called you to and you can't tell me, you're missing the best part. You're missing the best part. You're eating the broccoli and missing the steak. Right? You're not even going to get dessert. So, so remember who called you, the great and awesome God. God is great and awesome. Remember who called you and, and begin to leave a spiritual footprint. How do I leave a spiritual footprint? He says to fight for your families, for your sons and daughters, your spouses. He says, start leaving the spiritual footprint right here. Remember last week, Cody told you they just started on the wall right in front of them. Start, so this, the metaphor is not just to build a wall, it is to build a spiritual city. And you can start with the wall right in front of you. Wife, kids, family, sister, nephew, niece, mom, dad, just start right here. Are you leaving a spirit? I know some people who leave a pretty negative spiritual footprint. It's like they, like they kicked them when they went by. What I love about Jesus is he always leaves a spiritual footprint in just the most powerful ways, in just the most wonderful ways. Even to the least wonderful people. So I was teaching on uh, Tuesday night. We were having a discussion at the men's event, um, uh, Bible study. And um, so about Pilate. I, and if, you've ever, if you've ever studied Jesus' interaction with Pilate, it's supposed to be about Pilate deciding whether or not Jesus is going to get put to death. If you really read that and you look at Jesus' part of it, it's really about Jesus trying to get to Pilate's heart. Not in order to, to change the outcome. Jesus already committed the outcome. I'm going to drink the cup. He told Peter, don't cut the guy's ear off. I need to drink this cup. He's already decided the outcome, but in the meantime, he cares about Pilate, and he's given Pilate a chance to discover truth. He did what he did with everybody, even as he's going to the cross. He did what he did with everybody. He looked right into him and wanted to just kind of stamp on the heart. There's a possibility. There's hope. There's a chance if you turn your life over, God might be real. I might be here to do something that could affect you. A lot of Christians just kind of put a foot in your face and say how wrong and awful you are. That's not what Jesus did. He was always trying to reach inside and touch that tender spot that might need hope. Might Pilate was choosing between political situation and truth. He was right there. Jesus was trying to help him, give him that opportunity. What kind of spiritual footprint are you leaving? He says, remember who it is that has called you and what he's called you to called them to build a wall. He's called us to build a spiritual city in which people can know Jesus. And also remember God for what he's done before. 
Nehemiah had gone before the king at the risk of his life and God had blessed him in a shocking way. I believe that God allows us, like maybe Nehemiah or like David, who fought a bear and a lion and, and some nine-foot goober, wasn't going to mess him up because he was ready. He'd seen God be faithful already. See, I, I have, as I think about my past as a Christian, there's some folks here that were there during that time as a, as a pastor. We had a little, little upheaval. Okay, on several occasions, we had huge upheaval. One of which just caught me so off guard and just broke my heart. I couldn't believe, believe people would say such awful things about me and accuse me of things. And fortunately, they accused me of the wrong things. None of those were true, but um, they left out gluttony and I got away. So anyway, but I remember just feeling so depleted out of ideas, out of emotion, just confused about why this would happen and why these people would do this and what I had done to bring it about. And I remember uh, one time just being so wiped out and I just cried out to God, God, you gotta deal with this. I can't deal with this. I, I don't know what to do. I, I can't deal with this. If you ask my wife, she'll tell me that was the day I became a leader. You, you may not think I'm much of a leader now, but you should have seen me before. <laughs> because that day I quit trying to lead and I just started following Jesus. And I lead the best I can, but it's really his. Before that, evidently, I kind of thought I had a lot more to do with it than I really did. But it's really his. That day was also one of the days that prepared me for bigger battles to come. When people said worse things. When more people said worse things. And there are more battles yet to come. That I can't see my way through, I'm sure. And that I won't know what to do. And yet God has been there every step of the way. You see, sometimes, why is life hard? Why am I going through this? I got bad news for you. It's just a little one. God's setting you up for a bigger one later. There's going to be a tougher one coming. But without those battles, you don't get to have impact. Without walking through that, they didn't get the wall built. Without walking through the little battles, you can't handle the big battles, you can't handle the big battles, you can't overcome the big opposition. You're not going to do the things of impact God's called you to do. So just kind of suck it up and say, okay, God, I guess this is what we're doing. You've saved me before. You're going to save me again. I trust you. So the first one is I'm all in. second one is I remember God. I put God in the equation of everything. God ultimately is in charge. I remember that. I commit to that. And then the third one is don't come down off the wall. So uh, we'll skip chapter five. It has to do with some house cleaning. It's good stuff. But I want to talk about chapter six very briefly here. Um, in verse one, when the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies. By the way, this guy Geshem, if I remember right, I think his family was in leadership in that region for like hundreds of years. There's extra biblical sources that refer to these guys. And this is a powerful family. It's not just some guy. Um, and the rest of the enemies, the, um, our enemies that I had rebuilt a wall, uh, not, a, not a gap was left in it. Up to that time, I had not set the doors and the gates. Zanabalat and Geshem sent me these messages. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. <laughs> and it is correctly named. Oh, no. Oh, no, I'm not coming down there. Oh, no. But, we were, but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messenger to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a, this is a great, I love what he said. I'm carrying on a great project. He's, he's all in. I'm carrying on a great project. Are you kidding me? I don't have time for you guys. Plus, he knew what they were up to. He says, I'm carrying on a great project. We cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? 
Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. And the fifth time, anyway, I don't, I don't follow it. I love the fact that he won't come down off the wall. He won't stop what God's doing. Uh, I've read this quote this week, and I, and I, I want to share it with you. The present moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. The present moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. Don't come down. God got you going somewhere. Don't come down. <laughs> I heard a, an illustration one time. It's about not everybody's going to go where God's wanting you to go, but you can't stop and wait for everybody. There are people going to get off the train, but you've got to keep going where God wants you to go. And I remember one time when we first started, and I had this vision of what God might do. And, and um, I shared it with someone very early on. And I shared that God, I believe God might just do it. And, and they laughed. And they said, oh, and we could call it Doyleville. I was sharing my heart, what I thought God had called us to do. I realized, don't share your heart with everybody. And that guy's not going with us. And he didn't. He moved away. I don't know what happened to him. Good guy. Just no vision. No ability to see the future. And I realized not everybody's going to go. Not everybody's going to go. Nehemiah realized those guys weren't going anywhere. I'm not stopping where God's taking me for them. I'm taking me and God's people where he's taking us. And I'm not slowing down for them. Don't go down. Don't go down to those spiritual um, suicidal places. (laughs) If you knew he went down, they were going to kill him. Going down would have been suicide. When we, so I've seen enough leaders kind of take a break from leading in ministry and so on, long enough to just destroy their lives. You don't walk away from what God called you to do. One of the most the greatest things I, about my dad, and I'm about done about this with uh, this message, but was my dad to the day he died was still caring for and pastoring people. I watched him two days before he died in his on his deathbed, have a repairman come in the house who went to his church, and he and he called out to him and he didn't recognize him. And, and say, hey, I, and then he recognized him. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't recognize your first. And he's already starting to, things were starting to, to, to wind down. And then immediately, he said, oh, I'm sorry. How's your daughter doing? How's her team doing? He's on his deathbed, still doing what God called him to do. Man, on my best day, I can't even do that. I want to do that. I want to stay on that track. I don't want to slow down, go down, uh, slowing down. Opposition is going to be there. But he didn't slow down. He said, all right, guys, in one hand, you're going to have a trowel. In one hand, you're going to have a sword. We're going to finish this thing up. We're not going to go down. I'm not going down. We're not going to slow down. And we're ready for a showdown. I wish I could preach. <laughs> he says this in, in, in verse 20. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. We're going to have a show. If you guys want to fight, we're going to fight. If you guys want to have a show, because we're doing what God's called us to do. We believe God will save us. We're, we're going to do what God has called us to do. I, so there is a, there is a, having kind of been a jock when I was younger, not a very good one, but hung out at the gym a lot. Um, it's kind of an attitude that certain people have. And, and, and in my case, it was never really backed up very well, but I still had it sometimes. And it's like, come on, let's do this. Let's, there's a little bit of a confidence and even cockiness or whatever. I don't think that's appropriate spiritually, except in those times where you're doing God's work and you know God's behind you. We know God's in this thing. You know God's in One of the times, I, I remember I knew we were supposed to build this building and a bank that we had applied to uh, for a loan to get us through and um, it came in person to tell me what a stupid idea it was and that we could never get a loan. And I said, you know what, I'll be right back. And went to my office, signed the bank loan that another bank had offered us and said, we don't really need to meet anymore. Was that cocky? Yeah. 
but I was so sure what God wanted us to do. I was so positive of it. Do I still hold it against that one bank? Yes. <laughs> Let me, can I read something for you? We don't back down. We don't slow down. And we don't fight alone. And we don't forget the battle is God's. We, we won't win the battle. God will win the battle. But we must do our part. Can I just read from 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 47? This is David when the, when the Israelites are facing the Philistines. Remember, he's just this kid. The king doesn't even know who he is. Uh, but he's fought a lion. He's fought a bear. He's protected the sheep. He knows that God will take care of him. David said to the Philistine, You come against me in sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Old Testament language. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. By the way, the giant had just said that about him. So, uh, And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. I would like us to be so committed to the mission and so convinced of God's power that we can face a world in opposition to what we're trying to offer and say, it's not us. It's not our power. It's not our wit. It's not by political maneuvering. It is by God's hand that we will win, that we will build strong marriages. We'll raise great kids. We'll take churches and, and use them to make a difference in our community. It is by God that we will do that but it's going to require some changes. We're going to have to stop being consumers, stop being takers, and learn to give back, to give everything to God and whatever else he asks for. But I believe we can do that. I believe that's what the church is supposed to do. I believe that's what we're called to, and I believe we're going to do that. And so Nehemiah is our hero, but it's in Jesus' name we're going to do this. I hope and pray you'll join us. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We see things happening in the world that are not good. We see things happening uh, all over the world in places where there's famine and there's drought, there's fighting, there's violence. We see things in our own nation where people are to each other and there's division like I can't remember having seen before. And yet there is a power greater than all of this and it is you. Lord God, I, I just, I don't know how we arrive at that place where we're so full of love for you and confidence in you that we can stand boldly, assertively in our nation, in our community, in our own homes and say, with God's help, this will be better. With God's help, we will bring hope. With God's help, we will make a difference. Lord, I, I think it is only in your help that this can happen. And yet you have promised to do that. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to step up to be who you called us to be, to do it together. And Lord God, start building something that matters. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thank you guys so much for being here. Have a great weekend. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.